Hello, kings and queens, and welcome back to the GGH podcast. We are all on a journey in life to grow internally, glow externally, and heal mentally. Let's do it together. Today, I am sharing my platform with Carl Desert. He is a Florida-born, Boston-raised, and now resides back in Florida, because you know there's nothing like home. He is a father of a beautiful daughter, former incarcerated for eight years, and now an author of The Spirit of Haiti, Heritage, Proverbs, and Recipes. Welcome. Thank you for being a guest today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you, for sure. Definitely. So please, tell us a little bit about your book, and how did you come about writing it? So the book, The Spirit of Haiti, is a project that me and my brother, Ludney DeRozier, have been thinking about for a while. Um, You know, Haiti is such an influential place, and we're such influential people. Our stories are so intertwined and deeply rooted in the history of, you know, black people. Yes. You know, especially on this side of the planet. So... Um, for me, it was just something to educate my daughter on her culture, where she came from, as well as um, just for the world to know a lot more about the island. Because a lot of the publicity that we get is usually negative. Tainted. Very right? bad. So yeah. I want them to know that uh, we are great people and we do great things. and um, And I want to somehow help us get back to that image in the present day, you know, by reminding a lot of us of where we came from as well. Yes, Haiti is um, the epitome of the revolution. Um, um, And I know that we have great history and I feel like with this new generation, a lot of our history is being erased. Mm. So it's very important for us to have people like yourselves or like yourself or um, your co-author as well as myself to make sure that this platform and our culture is extended for sure. because the way this cult- the way this new generation is, is just um, I feel like everything's being washed away. So if we don't give them that the heritage, um, if we don't give them the proverbs and the recipes, they won't be able to know what the true Haiti is. I agree. I agree for sure. You know, we're, we're such an important people. I feel like without a, a two Stanley Livre Tour, there wouldn't have been a Malcolm X Amen. or uh, all the other revolutionaries further down the line. I think it stemmed from what we did um, back then. I mean, 1804, we got independent shortly after America did, right? So then a lot of our history, things that we've done as far as revolting, they wanted to hide from the slaves here because they didn't want them to think that they can do it as well. So I feel like we've always been like the the catalyst for change and we've always been pushing for freedom for the world. And, yeah. and, um, and I feel like we now we need some freedom for ourselves as well, right? Oh, I like how you put that. Um, A lot of people do not know that um, how we helped Ireland, how we helped Europe, how we helped pretty much everywhere around the world. We helped uh, Spain. um, We helped America. You know. Our hands, the Haitian hands, was always extended. Mm -hmm. Still. It still is till this day. Um, Even with Canal. Even with the Canal that's being right now. Yeah, the Canal. Yeah, the Canal. As it's... Our hands is fully extended, but we were limited. 
with our extension. So now that we're not gaining the resource from the outside, we took it upon ourselves to do that. And that's why where it comes with that whole new canal of Papcampe. The canal won't end because of us no longer, we do have the extension of our hands, but we now put boundaries that we, you know, boundaries are placed. Um, But I do want to dive into a little bit about the inspiration of your book. I know you have a co-author. What was his name? Ludney, Ludney DeRozier. And did you guys both come collectively to come about the title? So we we definitely, so the vision and everything, we came with the vision together. Um, The resources and tools, we we did it um, and researched everything um, for the most part. Like this guy right here, he's amazing. The presentation, the websites, you know, I, I'm, I'm the vision as well and the legs. But we all I kind of help. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the one to help push it. And here he goes right now. He's calling me. Yo, Lud, what's good, brother? What's going on, my man? Can you hear me good? Yeah, I can hear you clearly. Nice. Hey, how you guys doing? We're doing good, man. We were just talking about you. Man, uh... Caught me off guard, but I'm super excited. This is awesome. I appreciate the uh, the opportunity for sure, for sure. What inspired you and Carl to come up with the title in the book and also the background of it? Go ahead. Okay. Um, so, Ludney DeRozier, or Ludney Ferrer I got to say it in Creole. I love it. Get, get it, man. Get it. <laughs> I got to say it in Creole to keep it 100. Um, yeah. Um, you know, just even in that statement, it, it's really about being Haitian-American and um that experience uh and the experience of wanting to connect and and stay connected right when you become you know you go first generation second generation third generation um it's very easy for things to erode right Mm -hmm. um you know do you know your grandma's recipe right is your crayon you know 100 percent like it is on the island or is it is it like a passed down iteration right um and and these are the things you know the culture it is what makes us special and unique, you know what I'm saying, in, in, in America or in, in France or any, you know, first world or, or, or mainstream culture that you're in, your, your, your Haitian roots and everything is what makes you unique, is what mm-hmm. separates you. And ultimately what becomes, uh, to me, beneficial in my life, you know, especially as an adult, right? Maybe as a kid, you know, you were picked on because you had a little bit of an accent or you were just different, you wore different clothes, you were a little, you know, you dressed up like every day was Sunday. <laughs> you know, whatever the case may be. But mm-hmm. these the things that made you different end up being, at least from my experience, end up being a strength. And I want to pass that down, um, you know, to my daughters. I have two little girls. Um, and I really want to make sure that though they're, 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 they're not 100% Haitian, and that is, uh, you know, second generation Haitian in America, and, and really probably truly Haitian American, if we're going to call uh, labels and stuff, that they have a connection and they have a starting place to reconnect if they want to do so um, when they're of age to read the book. So I know I said a lot there and probably jumped around, but hopefully that, that explains a little bit what you want. No, no, that is absolutely beautiful. And I'm, I'm grateful for you to, to be on this platform to even share your your book, your history, um, the purpose of what it came about. Um, so right. you stated that your inspiration was your daughter. And I, call, I know Carl stated that as well. What... What was the magnitude? What was the epiphany that you had that said, hey, Carl, let's do this. No more talking. Let's execute. What, when was that for you guys? Um, I would say there wasn't like a big bang moment. There wasn't like a big, um, you know, eureka moment. 
I think, um, you know, Carla and I met in college, right? Oh, first, let me correct. Daughters, plural. I got two two baby girls. Um, so so if they ever hear this, I didn't leave one out, right? <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah, heard but, that, dads? Um, Y'all know what to do. <laughs> you know how that is. But yeah, Carla and I met in college, and, um, you know, we found it uh, on a lot of things. Um, you know, hip-hop, um, you know, just being in college at that time frame, and then, you know, I would say the, the, the immediate, the strongest thing was the fact that we were both Haitian American, right? Yes. I mean, his mom, you know, took me in like another, like a second son. I remember being sick one time and, you know, she took care of me, probably gave me all types of tea and ginger and it kind of nursed me back to health. Like, you know, I was her own own son, right? So, you know, we, we, we bonded there. And I, I, I paint that picture. I say that to say that we've always wanted to, to rep in a sense, and, and and we've always been people that were prideful of our background. And I think once we once we reconnected um, more recently and, and we're talking about doing doing something, we were always talking about we always circled around doing something that had to do with being Haitian, Haitian pride. Um, we always talked about wanting to change the narr- narrative or have impact on the narrative of, of Haiti, you know, Haiti as a brand. What does it look like to outside people? And what, would, what do we know it is? You know what I'm saying? As Haitian Americans, right? Um, and so we, we had a lot of iterations of, of, of maybe we should do this. Maybe we should make a T-shirt, clothing line, art, you know. and Dominoes. Um, <laughs> dominoes, yeah. We talked about doing a series of Haitian dominoes, plant arts, like all types of products, right? And we're like, we could put that out there and this this will work, right? This would be something that be that needs to be more out there. And um, so basically uh, what started the, the, the trip down the path of a book was Haitian Proverbs. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Carl uh, discovered a way to illustrate like beautiful art. And we were talking about these Proverbs and you're like, you know, there's, there's African Proverbs, there's Chinese Proverbs, mm-hmm. but there's all these Haitian sayings. And, and the sayings really like, I don't know, I, how could I put this? Like when you listen to, to uh, a, a certain Haitian proverb like de mon gemon, right? Mm-hmm. Or uh, right? Like it it cuts through to me as a Haitian American as a very authentic Haitian way of looking at life. Each one of those proverbs, right? They're short. The the the, the Creole kind of just cuts through a certain way. It just it just it really has a Haitian feel to it. So I was like, you know what? That's really genuine. That's really that's really like a, a, a nice way to, to, to sh- encapsulate the culture. So it started as a book about Proverbs. And then we paired that with wanting to give it visuals and bring some of those Proverbs to life. And then that evolved to, hey, we can probably get more about history in this book and, and heritage, right? So if you notice, the book is really, you know, mainly comprised of three things, um, you know, Heritage, heritage slash history, which is the, the culture in general, the people, mm-hmm. um, the proverbs, and then um, it, it became apparent to me that you know if I'm trying to pass something down, what connects people, or what's a lot, what's the quickest way to travel and experience a culture? It's actually mm-hmm. through food, yeah. right? So we wanted to, to 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 add the food element that came in probably last. Um, I met um, a few restaurateurs in the Boston area. Got, got I took a. I think two days of just driving around different restaurants, got some photos, got some insight, um, you know, had some dishes I haven't had in a long time um, and, and, and really put together 
you know, uh, a, a few simple recipes. Um, not to say that I'm Chef, uh, you know, Boyardee or uh, hmm. Chef, uh, I don't know who the greatest chef is in America right now or anywhere in the world right now. But it's not that, but it's a starting point. Hmm. And um, that became the book. Those Those parts became the book. That is very vital what you said. It's a starting point. I feel like you always have to start somewhere. Just like you guys started with the brainstorming. um, And then now look at what it unfolded to. um, A beautiful book that now we can instill into our children. Um, I can't wait to get my hands on this book. I have two young boys, even though just like yourself, they're not fully Haitian. But I make sure I instill in them. I am... um, first generation American born. So I've never even stepped foot in Haiti, but anyone that meets me, that they always think that I was born there. Um, my, My accent so well is because my parents instilled it in me, but I also had a craving for my culture. I also, for all cultures, but my culture in general because of the impact that it had on the world. I always craved to learn more about my family back at home. I always craved to learn more about how to cook food on my own so I can definitely make all of the recipes um, that was passed down, and I'm so grateful for that. So now I have this book that I can give to my children, um, and also I can instill into them what... um, what you guys are talking about so this is just beautiful um thank you hey I, you know what i'm not an emotional person but everything you said just hit me deeply yeah. that, that's that's it that's all of it right there so I, I appreciate hearing that i appreciate you sharing that and that's like that's that feeling when you uh you know uh put something out there and it's received that that feels very received so i, I appreciate that no thank you um i'm grateful yeah. that you were able to receive that but i generally want to thank you because um, I feel like in this, I was telling Carl about this just um, before we started. I feel like in this new generation, um, it's even hard to instill just to Americanize things, let alone our culture. Um, it, it's, it's very hard to have that. Um, I'm trying to distinguish consistency and persistency because there's a, div, a big difference. Um, so I'm trying to be persistent of instilling these things in my children, not only discipline, respect, but also the culture and the heritage. Um, so it's hard to have that in this new generation that we're in. A hundred percent. And I would tell you, um, you know, I tell you, I share this personal story on a podcast that's going out to the internet. Um, <laughs> Thank so you for your vulnerability. I would tell you, um, one thing I struggle with as a parent is uh, my, my wife, who's half black, half white, was like, you need to, to, to teach them Creole. I was, like, I was like, wait, what an undertaking. Like, you want me to teach my kids Creole? I'm not even 100% confident in my own Creole, right? <laughs> but I spoke Creole. Creole was probably my first language. I grew up in, uh, in Brooklyn with, um, you know, all my uncles and aunts around me taking care of me and obviously my mom and everything. And, and you know, my, my grandma didn't really speak English. Well, I only spoke Creole to my grandma. And I feel like, you know, one of the first books my wife ever shared with me was a book called uh, Third World Culture Kids. And it speaks to that, the experience of, you know, growing up first generation and, you know, you're, you're in positions where you, you're, you're eight years old and you're translating for your mom or translating mm. for your grandma, mm, right? Yeah. You're, you're, you're in positions where, you know, you're doing, you're being a bridge for an adult into a world that's foreign to them. But you're, as a child, you're, you're, you're in a position that it kind of, um, I can't say it ages you, but it matures you, yeah. you know, and it, and it seasons you in a certain way. And mm-hmm. that's, that's was my experience. You know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, when it comes to, to, to Creole and teaching my kids Creole, 
it's not easy to be a custodian of the culture. I'm, I'm trying to shoot a commercial for the for the book or, or put together a commercial for the book, and that's actually in the script of the words. It's not easy to be a custodian of the culture and 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 pass that torch. Like I can't even pass the language down that easy. You know what I'm saying? So this book, I think, is also uh, kind of um, it was birthed out of that. Like I can't really give you the language. Like I got the language because it was different the way I got the language. You're not immersed in it like I'm immersed in it. But here, if at any day in life, whether you, when it's like 12, when you're 12 years old, or when it's your you're 45 years old, and you wanna you know reconnect back to it, here's a starting point. You know. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. Um, before I want to wrap up um, the co-author, and I'm so grateful for you being on this on the platform. I wanted to share with you something that I did with my children um, to help instill the language with them. So I know um, our car rides. Our car rides is vital to us. We make sure we tap into um, how our day was and things like that. But I also read a study that the first five minutes and the first five minutes of picking up your children and the first last five minutes of dropping them off are essential to their brain development and how they develop socially. So I made it important for the right before we do our like our daily affirmations our prayers i do a five minute of hey we're doing numbers in creole we're doing alphabets in creole our little come on yeah um you know the little ones and we will be or you will be very surprised of doing that consistently for a week how much they'll give to you on the second week they'll probably give respond to you faster or we'll say dad i know that and then you're quick to go to the next one and that forces to challenge yourself like hey i need to learn a new phrase um to teach the kids wow. um so if i can um i wanted to share that with you before we wrap no, this I appreciate, up I, I appreciate that yeah we definitely do things in the car rides but you know that that is that is an amazing and beautiful way to do it because i mean you notice that with kids right a little goes a long way yeah. every time yeah it does um... <laughs> you know little and one last thing i'd like to share about the book before i hop off um is that it's it, the original idea is for it to not just be a book but also a digital presence so world of wisdom dot store um is going to be a housing for each one of those qr codes that are in that book and those QR codes allows the book to have an, like a very organic and, and um, a place that it can evolve to a very updated resource on any topic that's in that book. So say you're you're looking for a recipe on how to make, um, you know, akasan or, 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 or labouille or, um, you know, my favorite is G.I. John Joe, right? Mm-hmm. So, I think that's all of us. So that, yeah, I, mommy, I want the black rice, G.I. John Joe, right? <laughs> so you, you uh, basically scan that QR code and right now, currently, it's in its early phase. There's probably going to be literally uh, three or four curated videos of how people are making Julia John Joe from places that are, again, curated by myself and by Carl, right? So as we uh, develop and, and, and go and, and with this book, it has a digital life that's going to, you know, again, be always updated and ever evolving. Um, and we, we foresee that going on. So we're even looking at um, getting VR experiences from, from the island directly. So it's going to be some amazing things on the digital side. But this book is really meant to be the, the physical extension of that that could sit on your coffee table or uh, be in your library, wherever you keep your books. And obviously, uh, ebook as well, if, you're, if you have an ebook library. So, um, you know, once you access it, don't forget that this digital part of it is a big part of the experience. It, it's going to extend it, if not be the primary uh, part of the experience one day. 
Well, man, I <laughs> cannot, brother. yeah, I cannot thank you enough for sharing that um, and for partnering Carl to to compose this beautiful history that yeah, I feel I our children. That. So I'm grateful for you. So, yeah. All right, my guy, listen, I appreciate you calling in. Now that this platform already explained to everybody that I made it a safe platform so that we can talk about our internal growing, um, our exter external glowing and our mental healing, um, I know you have a, a great journey that you've been through yeah. um, that you can talk about and help others out there. Um, so let's start off first. Tell us a little bit about Carl. I know that um, you were incarcerated. So tell us about life before incarceration. You know, I was born in Miami, Florida. December 2nd, 1981, you know, I'm kind of, I'm an 80s baby for real. Uh, I moved to Boston in 87 and, um, you know, I'm first generation Haitian, right? I'm the first American, uh, one of the first in our, in our bloodline here. And, you know, I always think back about the sacrifices that our parents made, right? They came mm -hmm. here. For, not for themselves, right? They came for their children to have a better life. You know, they get here, they work hard from nothing to not even knowing the language on top of that to, you know, making sure the kids have everything they need. Maybe not everything they want, but, but definitely everything they need mm -hmm. um, to just work hard and end up owning homes, right? You came from nothing to a place you didn't speak the language, so you had to learn that to still elevate and own a home. Mm -hmm. And you're doing all this so that your children can start from there, right? So you're starting in a home and we're supposed to take it further. Like your, your parents came here for you to- Grow, yeah, to elevate. To be up there, elevate, right? Yeah. So, and it's for the bloodline further down the road. So I always kept that in mind, like, okay, my peoples came here for, for us to have a better life, right? So, you know, they want you to go to school, be a doctor, be a, doctor a lawyer, a right? Nurse, that's that's a scientist. It. There's nothing, <laughs> nothing else, <laughs> right? Um, you and, don't know l'école l'église lacaille, nothing else. That's it. <laughs> and as you come and look at this American dream that they set up, you know, my mom did some hard work overnight. She's still working. Um, but I feel like my whole purpose for me to pay her back is I wanted to retire her mm -hmm. early mm -hmm. and I'm still on that path. Right. Um, I think we got a couple years left, so I got to do it this year. No, you know what I mean? My goal is to existence. make her not have to work no more and be the reason that she doesn't have to work anymore. Amen. Um, so I, I've been to college as my brother could tell you, you know, I met him there. What did you major in? No, mind me asking. What did you major in? I majored in, uh, first it was computer science, and then it was computer science and mathematics. And then computer science, it just ended up being a whole different language. Yes. And I was like, ah, I don't know if I want to do that, C++ and all that other stuff. And then mathematics, I love math because of um, numbers. Yeah. But as I got higher in math, it turned into physics, and it wasn't math anymore. So I'm like, ah. So then I moved down to economics. And I like economics. And coincidentally, I'm in economics now, so, yeah. so it worked out. But I feel like I'm, I'm a very well-rounded person, right? I went, to, I went to college. I've worked at Fortune 500 companies. Mm -hmm. 
I've done illegal activities. Um, I've went to prison and now I'm out here being an inspiration for people, right? So there's not a level in life that I don't think that I've been, that I haven't been except for billionaire status and, and, and that's, Which is coming. that's the goal, right? It's like, um, so I'm a very well-rounded person. I could talk to anybody from the homeless guy to the CEO and they'll feel comfortable knowing that I understand them and I might, might even feel like I'm one of them, right? Because I've, I've been through, there's not too many people that you can find that's been through every facet of life. Yeah. Some people just went to school. Some people just work. Some people just sold drugs. Some people just go to prison. Some people, but you have somebody here that's, that's done it all and has gained a lot of information from it. Um, so life before prison was, was, was great. Um, and my whole point in life was, was to retire my mom. So I ended up trying to take shortcuts because I realized, okay, if I go to school for four years and then graduate, I'm going to have all this debt and then I'm going to have to find a job. And then meanwhile, I'm still trying to retire my mom. Like I seen that this would have, it would took forever. So of course, let me see if there are faster ways. Um, I also used to do music as well. Uh, I met Ludney in college. He taught me how to make beats. So I always, first I thought music was going to be the way that I freed and retired my mom. I thought I was going to be this multi-platinum million dollar producer guy. And, um, you know, that didn't happen. And then I went into the illegal life thinking that that would be the quickest shortcut. Like, because it's fast money. Let me do this and, and, and retire her and then move forward, right? Um... But what you realize is when you try to take, just the way the universe works, when you take the easy route first, mm -hmm. it gets harder at the end. When you take the hard right route first, life gets easier in the end. Yes. Right? So I tried to take the easy way by doing illegal activities, which led me to be incarcerated, which was, so it was, and it was great and easy in the beginning, but it was super hard and you wasted a lot of life and time in the end. So now I'm, I'm building the foundation and structure, and what I'm doing now is very hard, yeah. but I know it's only going to get easier exactly. as I continue because to push. Because you, you remembered that. Um, so life before incarceration, you how old were you when you were incarcerated? Um, I got convicted in, uh, at 32. I was 32. And then you served a sentence of eight years. I served eight years. Um, and the last year, so I had a, I had a, um, a mandatory sentence. So I wasn't supposed to get out at all. Not one day before the eight years. But COVID happened, um, and I was allowed to get out because of COVID on house arrest for the last year. Um, and that, so I got out, and I believe in, you know, the universe and numbers, but they let me out on my mom's birthday. Wow. On 2000, February 3rd, 2021 is when I got out that year early to be on house arrest. Uh, I did the house arrest at my grandmother's house. And it was definitely hard, you know, trying to adjust, right? Mm -hmm. You're coming out to a world that's way different than what you left during COVID, which is way different than what they knew, exactly. right? COVID so, was a whole new world. <laughs> right, COVID was 2020. I'm, I'm locked up for COVID, 
You know what I'm saying? I'm locked up for Trump. I'm locked up for all this stuff. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the world from in there. Yeah. And, you know, the media gives you an impression, right? Like, police shootings all the time. Like, people getting pulled over, getting shot. Churches getting shot. They got yeah. the Trump thing going on. So... It's still in fear. It's, well, it's, just, it's just still fear, right? So I still kind of got PTSD yeah. from that because when I'm in a car and if a police pulls up, oh. all I can think about is getting shot. Mm-hmm. Even when I go to a church, I don't feel safe, right? Like I'm at a church and I'm thinking somebody about to come in and shoot the church because this is the image that, that has been pushed to me before yeah. I was out, right? And then... Wow, that's to, interesting. Yeah, and then to come out and everybody had mask on, right? Because because of, of COVID, so it's like, oh my, like, are they trying to wow. rob me? Like, it's, you know, it's just looking like you coming from a place where you got to protect yourself at all times to an open world, and everybody's in mask, and mask significant is like yeah. you're about to rob somebody, or you know what I mean? So it wasn't easy, and then to tell you the world that I see now, um, the devil's in your face. I remember, you know, back in 2012, 2014, you know, the devil was there, but he was low. He wasn't like high in my face. But now you come out and the imagery is blatant in your face, right? And then even the words, like everybody want to be a demon. Everybody's on demon time. Everybody wants to be a savage. Everybody's bad, but bad means good. These are all supposed to be good words, but these are not good. And we know it's not. Right. So then I'm looking at it like, do people notice it? Because you guys lived it. And it kind of gradually happened when, for me, it was like a slap in the face. I come out and bang. Wow. Like, what's up with this? And then everybody just, I don't know. I, I could just definitely see that. And then the people don't value people's lives no more. Like, you know, somebody get killed, people recording it <laughs> and, and sharing it. And, and I don't want to see that, right? That's that person's last breath and different things. So just the value for life, a lot of things, and the instant gratification, the social media it's a lot of things, but one thing I can say for sure, it's about what you use it for, right? Every tool can be good or bad, right? Fire was created to, to cook food and keep you warm, but you could also burn somebody's house down, yeah. right? It's all about what you choose to do with, with, with the information. So for me, I think the best thing that happened to me was um, being on house arrest for that year because... As soon as I did go into prison, I um. So wait, that's um that's a little bit after incarceration. I want to go into like chronological order. Okay, so gotcha. we, sure. we have you talking a little bit about before incarceration and how your mental space was. You were a, a stand up guy. Of course. You went to work. Yeah. You went to school. You went to college. Of um, you went to take care of your your mom, but you For just sure. went to that fast route. Yeah. Now fast forward, we are incarcerated. Right. How are you, especially, um, I know we have this platform, we're reaching out to a lot of people, and anyone that remembers my first episode, um, my guest, he was incarcerated when he was 20, and he's now doing an eight-year bid, and he's being released at 28. Nice. You were incarcerated in a later age. Yeah, 32. So you had a little bit more wisdom, for more sure. um, street smarts, more experience, as I should for say. Sure, for sure. Um, how did that impact you completing your bid or your sentence? Um, so when I when I went in, first and foremost, you know, I had a child, right? I found yes, out that, um, so when I got arrested for the case, I was in county, 
and I found out I was going to be a dad. Wow. So, and mind you, I waited 30 some years before I thought I was prepared to have a child. Like I wanted to have a certain amount of funds. I wanted to, you know, have hopefully just the right ready. woman, right? Yeah, just be um, ready. And at that time I was, but I was doing it the wrong ways, of course, but I was prepared and then, you know, I got arrested. So, you know, my daughter was nine months old when I, wow. when I left and when I came out, you know, she was 10, no, she was nine. So for me, having a child, knowing that I'm a smart person, right? Like, I didn't have to do nothing illegal to make money. I could use my brain. It was just faster, faster right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when I got in there, I always just was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to, from day one, I'm here to prepare myself for the exit when I get out. And I always, even when I was young, I always idolized Malcolm X. So... I took I literally took that Malcolm X approach of just making it my university from day one. And I actually was locked up at where Malcolm X was locked up as well. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, me oh, and him. Look at that. Look yeah, at Yeah, me and Malcolm X have a I always say Malcolm X was my dad, right? Because, you know, I, I didn't really have a the greatest relationship with my dad. He lived in Miami and I lived in Boston. But I studied Malcolm X and I just knew that if I use that time wisely, that I could come out here and, and make a, a positive in- impact, just like he did, right? He did it without social media, without a lot of different resources that we have now. So um, I used the whole time to prepare myself, and I knew I was, this is not all I knew, so I knew I wasn't going to come out and go do the same thing again like a lot of people do, especially when you're going in at 32, right? If you would have went in at 20, yeah, maybe that's all you know. You know what I mean? But at 32... Um, you knew a little bit different. You were yeah, supposed to Yeah, I was like, you know, this is just a, a setback for, for a major comeback. And I'm going to use this to be motivation for everybody to let them know that um, it's never over for you. No matter where you are, yeah. as long as you're alive, you can you can achieve your dreams. Whatever dream it is. So was it something that you knew going into... Um, your sentencing, or is this something that you had an epiphany or um, a magnified inspiration that made you say, nope, I'm going to do it the right way this time, and I'm going to set my goals and achieve them? You know what's crazy? Um, I had visions when I was seven years old, right? When I was seven years old, before I did any type of crime, I knew that I was going to go to prison. I knew I was going to grow my dreads. I knew I was going to get in shape and that I was going to come out and do something that would positively impact the world. So this is something that I knew since seven years old. I never thought about it, but as things kept happening, it brought me back to that, Mm -hmm. right? So it wasn't really an epiphany. It was just like a, a confirmation of what my destiny is, right? So... I knew I was going to go to prison. I went to prison. I knew I was going to go dreads. I have dreads. I knew I was going to be in shape. I was in tip-top shape before COVID So you came. knew these things were going to yeah. happen. Yeah. Um, so I do have to get back in shape to really fulfill this fully, which is why I'm working hard in the gym now. But I knew that my purpose was bigger than me. It was bigger than my family. It was like a worldly purpose to positively influence the world. And everybody that knows me personally... Uh, would tell you that 
I always bring something to the table. Like I'm not a person that takes away. I try to leave you better mm-hmm. than you came. Like I'm always trying to help. I'm always trying to, um, you know, elevate people. So this is something I've been my whole life, right? Um, you're and, a giver. You your love. I think we talked about that. You're like the definition of what love is. Yeah, like I'm pure. I don't have no malice. Yeah. You know, I do everything for the love. I don't do it for nothing back. And um, and that's another thing with this this generation, right? Like you tell people how great they are and how proud they are, and they think, oh, you you trying to just you dick riding or something. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause at the end of the day, I don't I don't need nobody, right? I, I I'm I always try to be useful. I try to be the one that that people need. Right? Exactly, because so, you're that helping hand. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I always, always want to do that. So, um, life after prison, what was that like? Just like you said, so, um, you were getting into it a little bit and I know that was fearful for you, um, mentally probably draining, just like you said, you had experienced PTSD. Um, but being in prison, being, um, having all these negative, negative things instilled in you, um, with what's going on, like what's going on, all the negative things in the media, what's going on in the world, um, these shootings and, um, oh my goodness, this is what the outside is like. Like, like, do I want to come outside? Like, if this was, of course you want your freedom. Of course, of course. But this is what the outside world is like. And then you step foot outside and you're in COVID. Just like you said, everybody's masked up. Um, I think at that time, what is it, shiesty time? Now everybody's in like another type of mask. Oh my God. (laughs) So you you transition from having the hospital mask to the shiesty mask. So how was that for you mentally in being that dad? Because dadding never ended for you. Yeah. Being in prison so yeah, even through prison, right? Um, I talked to my daughter once a week when I was in prison. I seen her every two years. Wow. Uh, my mom would bring her up. Um, so the first year she came, it was tough, right? Because she didn't know who I was. So I was trying to hold her, and she's trying to push me away. Like, who's wow. this stranger? And I'm like, Yo, I'm your dad. You feel me? So, um, you know, it was tough. Every time she came to visit me as well, when she left, I cried. 100% of the time because you don't know when you're going to see her again, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, there's a lot of things that people take for granted that um, it's hard for me to empathize with certain things, you know what I mean? Like, because I really, I know what it's like to not have anything, to not be able to hug your mom every day, to not be able to see your kids, to not, you know, and then a lot of people died when I was away. Mm. I lost, like, probably, like, 16 people that I'll never see again. Mm. Um, so... When when I come out here, there's, there's, there's nothing that could depress me, right? Like, wow. I could FaceTime my grandma anytime. I could go see her. I could, I could drive as far as I want. There's, there's no restrictions. Um, so coming out, being on, it was, it, was, it was felt great for me. And like I was telling you, when I was in there, I did a lot of studying and reading. But when I got out here and was able to be on house arrest the last year, I got to tap into YouTube. Now, I remember YouTube before it was just entertainment. Maybe yeah. they had educational stuff, but this like YouTube right man. now? It's like school. Listen, <laughs> like you telling me I can learn how to do anything I want, make some money, and I can learn this for free? Yeah. So then I start to look at people and understand it's like, okay, a lot of people put like, let's say eight hours in on the internet. Yeah, a screen time. That's a, that's if you look at a minimum, right? Average like, screen time, yeah. Eight hours. 
Which is crazy. If you, That's most like people, that is a shift. Yeah. Most people spend that eight hours in entertainment. They are either laughing at something, uh, listening to music, or whatever. But there is educational stuff out there, right? So, to me, and I think the proof is in the pudding, if you spend that eight hours on there laughing, and I spend eight hours learning, mm. I imagine that your life would just be... Plateau. Plateau. It's just if you look at the the graph or a line graph, it would just be straight horizontal. Whereas the person who uses that eight hours to learn and apply, they're going to exponentially grow. So I've only been out literally for two years because I don't, you know, I I got out December 16th, 2021, officially free off a house arrest, which happens to be my aunt's birthday. Right, like so, the, these birthdays and all these yeah, special days. Yeah, I was gonna say your mom was released, and then on house arrest, you ended house arrest on your aunt's birthday. Yeah, I ended my total sentence wow. on my aunt's birthday, who had also who had passed away while I was away. So, you know, that date is very special to me, um, and, and you know, everything I do, I do it for these people. There's a lot of people on my back that I that I I put them on my shoulders, and that I want to carry them. And everybody that I know and love, um, I'm going to do my best to make sure that they're successful in whatever it is that they want. And not to say that I'm the reason why, but I want to be a catalyst to help them get there. Um, But yeah, I used that last year. I studied, I was on Earn Your Leisure. Shout out to them boys. Uh, Wall Street Trapper. Um, You know, all these wonderful black brothers that are inspiring people they're doing what it is that i want to do you know et wallow mm-hmm. um you know these are the people that inspired me throughout that time and then, so now when i finally got off a of house arrest i'm fully free I, I went to florida that's where my mom is that's where my daughter is um and that first year i'm like i, I didn't want to work for nobody right like most people in prison think we're going to come out and either be a truck driver or, or construction, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's, those are the two options. And Uber did not exist when I went in. That's, yes, But yes. it exists now, right? Yeah, wow. So I really feel like the universe puts things in place for me to utilize to fulfill my destiny. I, I really feel like everything that happens is to benefit me to, to get. Right? And I feel like everybody should feel that way as well, right? I'm not trying to say I'm special. I'm just feeling like everybody should tap in to know that everything that happens is for, to, to benefit you and for you to fulfill your destiny, right? So first year, I did Uber in Florida. Mind you, Florida's a crazy place. They got the... the <laughs> I'm going to be nice on here. Because <laughs> what they say about Florida is like, it's a whole different country, a whole different entity, so... <laughs> Yo, Florida's wild, right? So it imagine is. doing Uber in Florida and the type of people... I could have a whole Uber story segment, which we won't do that today. But um, that it also let me know how how evil and you know, like the you know, what I mean, like I don't know. It's just people like, in the world can the be. The world is just yeah. so negative, and everybody's yes. depressed. And I just be like, you know, happiness is a choice. You know that, right? Like I say this all the time because you, you can wake up happy. and choose to be happy, and you'll be happy. Yeah. That nothing around, no circumstance around you, it didn't change. It was just your mindset. Exactly. Right? Um, 
So I did Uber the first year while still listening to these podcasts while I'm driving. So I'm still learning. I try to multitask, make sure I'm always learning, right? That's the only way I can progress is if I keep learning. Yeah. After the first year of Uber, I realized, listen, if I, if I do another year of this, I've maxed out whatever it can, can give me, right? As financially and everything else. But one lesson that I can tell you I did learn from Uber, which something I already had, but if you don't go out there, you can't get fired, but you're not going to eat, <laughs> right? So you got to get up. And get I was it. doing it seven days a week. I used to have my daughter every other weekend. So that's the only time I took off was every other weekend. So I was 12 hours a day, seven days a week, just out there grinding, you know, and, and I like that, 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 that I got that from that, right? Because I still do it now, but I'm doing it for myself. Um, and then so January came, I was talking to one of my brothers, Jude. Um, Jude is my brother. Mind you, before I even get to that, when you're in prison, you know who really loves you and who really care about yes. you because you have no value, really. Like, you can't do nothing to no, for nobody. So, and they have to reach out to you. You can't really call. Well, you can call, but you have to have the number. So there's a set of people who reached out to me while I was away and consistently either wrote a letter or came to visit or I talked to them on the phone or sent a card or whatever. And it's like when you're at the darkest, that's, that's, that's when you really know who your true friends are. So mm -hmm. everybody that I'm actually working with currently was there for me at that point at some time. They acknowledged me and knew that I was valuable then. So those people I'm forever grateful for. Those are some of the people that I work for and work with, and we're, we're going we're gonna to get to where we're supposed to go yes, together. Um, but yeah, so Jude hit me up. He's like, yo, bro, what you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm doing Uber. He's like, nah, man, with a mind like yours, you need to be doing something else. So, you know, he was doing real estate. He got me into the real estate, which was something I already... And it was crazy, too. Let me mention, when I came out, you know... The universe is crazy. It works. Like I'm everything you, it works you, everything I ever asked for, it has given it to me, hundred percent. It don't give it to me when I want it, but it gives it to me. That's mm -hmm. why I'm asking it for me to be a billionaire, right? I mean, shit, you done gave me everything. I want to be a billionaire, and I'm working towards yeah. that in many different ways. Um. So, when I came out. My first mindset was construction and thing, like I told you. But then I seen the stuff. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do stocks, real estate, and trucking somehow. That's what I told myself. When, as soon as I got out, I'm gonna, these are the ways I'm going to make money. Cool. Remember I tell you, the universe, everything I said, it mm -hmm. does. So he called me a year after. So I'm like, oh, I'm doing real estate. Um, you should come aboard with me and my team. All right, cool. He, he linked me up with a brother named Esmond. Esmond is, is, that's my dog. Like, that's my twin. Shout, shout you out. That, shout out to Esmond for sure. That's my twin. So we, 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 we came together. We was wholesaling real estate. Wholesale real estate is when you find a property, somebody's selling a house. Mm -hmm. You try to negotiate the price as low as you can. Yes. You're selling your house. I found you on Zillow or whatever. You're selling your house. Your house has been on there for a while. So you're kind of like, you really want to sell it. But it's not selling because the price is too high. So I tell you, listen, if you give it to me at this price, I can sell it. We agree. Oh, okay. Then I find a buyer that wants the house. So let's say you selling it for 100000 and I found somebody that wanted it for 120000 I don't spend no money. All I do is I get you to sign me a contract that says I'm buying it for one hundred twenty. 
I assign him a contract, no, for 100, I sign him a contract that says 120, I make 20K just by doing that. Wow. So that's what we were doing. Okay. So we was doing that, um, and we, we did very good as well. Shortly after that, I got my homeboy Richard. He's a truck driver. Mind you, Jude wrote me, so we, that's why we were connected. He wrote me when I was in prison. Richard came to visit me while I was in prison, and he was writing me, right? Yeah. So now he's like, yo, you know, I got this trucking thing. Do you want to do dispatching for me? I'm like, cool. So I was doing dispatching for him. Because all the time, I just wanted to work from home. I, I drove Uber for a whole year. It was too much, you know. So now I'm, I'm working from home. I'm doing real estate calls, and I'm doing dispatch, dispatch for my guy, right? And then later, the whole time, when I got out, I started investing in the stock market. But I was more of a long-term investor mm -hmm. because of... There's a difference between short-term and long-term. Yeah, exactly. That's a whole other spill. Whole, whole, whole different situation, right? Ian Dunlap, I'm going to shout out for that because he's the one who put that in my head to invest long-term. But then, you know, later it was like, damn, I need more money. So I always knew about investing in stock options and things. Mm -hmm. And then so I started to apply it then. Um, and then so now, remember I said I'm going to do trucking. And then the dispatcher. Real estate. Yeah. And so everything that I told the universe when I got out, I actually was doing it. You know what I mean? See and how it was it like, works. damn, okay, cool. Um and it's a beautiful thing. And then there's so much other stuff that I'm going to roll out this year, too. You know, when people talk about they got a five-year plan and all that, I don't do no five-year plan. You got a one-year plan. It's a yearly plan, right? And, and what you're that. trying to do in the five years, I'm trying to do it in the one. I like you know that. what I'm saying? I honestly love that. I wanted to know, so what motivated you to dedicate your life to be an inspiration? Um, after you going through all this trauma, enduring PTSD, um, even coming home and being exposed to a new life, new generation, yeah. um, and you still made it a dedication to yourself to inspire others, opposed to like, you know what, let me focus on me and my mom, let me get her to the retirement. Instead of doing just that, you wanted to make it a pillar to help and inspire others. Yeah. What motivated you to That seven-year-old kid, mm. you know what I mean? Like, I knew that that's what it was that I was supposed to do, and I was doing it. Anything that I do, I, I just want to help, right? The more better the world is going to be. Yes, indeed. Um, and I feel like we need a lot of more of us because just like you said, back in the day, devil could be uh, undercover, under the carpet. But right now, he is not only in our face, but playing in our face. Blatant. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's... It's important for us to make sure that we not only are motivating others, but we're, we're showing our children that it's important to be a motivation. Um, because not only for this new generation, but if we are not motivated within ourselves, our children are sponges. When they see us lack that motivation, they won't have motivation. So That's a fact. And yeah. it's so selfish, too, a lot of these kids, right? Like, I try to show my daughter, like, you want to help people, right? As much as you can. It's not always about you, 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 you. I don't think I'm selfish at all, which I think to a flaw as well. I think one of the issues which I have to change, which I'm changing this year, my boy told me that too. He was like, yo, bro, you know, you know when you're in a plane and the plane about to go down, you're supposed to put your mask on first mm -hmm. before you put other people's mask on. And I feel like I've spent my whole life 
putting everybody's mask on, right? And then it's going down, there's no more masks left and nobody's want to put one on me, right? Hmm. And I think the reason why I'm not all the way where I want to be, one, of course, is because I, I lost eight years of my life, but two is because I'm always trying to take people with me, right? And I might be trying to take people with me who don't even want to go. Mm-hmm. So if anything, they're, they're dragging me down. It's like I'm, I'm climbing a mountain and there's people holding on to me and that's why it's hard to get up there. And I feel like a lot of successful people, they just, they be selfish for a while to get there. That's the putting your mask on part. Like you gotta be selfish, go hard, get there, and then reach back. But I feel like a lot of people don't reach back because they went through it and then there's a certain group of people that they went with and those are the people they're with, right? You didn't believe in me before, why should I come back then? So it's like trying to balance the part that I wanna help everybody, but I really got to focus on myself first, and, and that's what this year is about. Uh, this whole year, it, it's all about me. It's going to be the first year of my that. life that I actually put myself first. first. You know what I mean? I love that. What for? So my journey, it's a roller coaster, um, but last year I made, I determined to make sure that my cup was always full. Yeah. Because I am, anyone that knows me, I am a giver. I am, um, I like to say I'm the definition of love as well. I, I give without looking, asking, um, with no intention of receiving. Yeah. Um, I'm always a, a call away. It doesn't matter if you're venting. It doesn't matter if you just need someone to just listen to and not give um, advice. It doesn't matter if you need advice. I'm, a, I'm always there for anyone, yeah. um, that reaching hand. But... What I learned mid-2023 was that when I actually want to remove that vulnerability, because vulnerability is um, it's that step you take to grow, and it's not an easy step to be vulnerable, to ask for help, to tell your story. So when I took that step of being vulnerable and asking for help and constantly getting a no or constantly getting um, I can't or I'm busy or... Um, at first, I was very angry. I was I had a lot of emotion. I was mad. I was sad um, because I'm constantly saying my I'm pouring out my cup to everyone. But my now that my cup is actually empty and I need it poured into me, I I don't have that. Nobody there. Yeah. yeah. So 2023, I filled my cup. Mm. I filled my cup. I made sure that I was able to fill my cup. And now I'm able to pour into others. At the end of 2023 in November, I was able to host my first um, pop-up. My first GGH pop-up where I brought 10 other entrepreneurs together so that they can showcase their business. But who am I to have the opportunity to even bring these 10 people together? That was my mindset. But my cup was full at the time. Even with that mindset, my cup was full. So I was able to pour out. And it was an amazing success. And then following that, I was able to host my first um, domestic violence awareness podcast. um, Where I brought two survivors who told their stories. The reason why I was able to do all of that is because I filled up my cup. For sure. Um, so I, um, I want to make sure that I tell you that so that you can continue to be that yeah. brotherly love. Fill up your cup. Don't, don't think that you don't have to give anymore because I, I was at a point like I don't want to help anymore. I'm, I, I'm so angry. Um, where's the people that I need? Right, right, right. Um, but when I came to conclusions like 
you have to take people for who they are. My brother, God rest his soul, mm. um, he loved the DMX and he made me fall in love into certain hip hop. I'm not a hip hop. I don't like hip hop that much, but he made me fall in love. Um, and DMX, he made this important statement. He always said, um, take people for who they are. If if a bird flies, he's a, it's a bird. If a dog barks, it's a dog. Yeah. If a man lies, he's a liar. Yeah. So take people for who they are. Don't sure. remove that expectation. So exactly. That was important for me in 2023. So um, that was big for me too. Like when you remove all expectations, you can uh, you can never be disappointed. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, so before we close out, I have a little a little bird came to me. A little bird. A little bird right. came to me and told me that you're moving to Ghana. Yeah. Yeah. What made you want to move to Ghana? Well, goes, tell us about that. Like, how yo, did we come about that? So it's the seven-year-old kid, bro, wow. that I knew that I was supposed to move to Africa too, right? It, it's crazy, and I feel like I feel like everybody has a purpose, mm-hmm. and I feel like everybody knows their purpose as a kid, right? And then I feel like life happens, and it starts suppressing all those kid imagination things, and then people forget that purpose. I'm still a kid, right? No matter what, anybody that tell you, I'm the same dude that I was in high school that, that I am right now. You know what I mean? Um, I never lost my imagination. I never lost my belief in, in what can be done. And um, so, yeah, that kid knew he was going to move to Africa. I didn't know what part of Africa, but as I look, Ghana seems like the spot to be. Right. And as a kid as well, a seven year old, I knew that I was going to build a compound in Africa. And in this compound, I was going to it was going to be like a, a big wall, like a castle type wall. It might even have the drawbridge with the alligators and the water that surrounded all that stuff. Right. There's some Florida to it. <laughs> right. So when they come in and this is a seven year old that knows all this thing. When you come in. I want the, on both sides of the road, they're going to be houses. And as the houses, the smaller houses and they get bigger until you reach the end where there's the biggest house, which is mine. But all these houses are going to be houses for everybody that I love. Everybody that I love will have a place there. So if, if they ever need to move and get out, they'll live there for free. There's nothing. It's there for you. you it's going to be furnished the way you asked for it. We're going to fish on the, on the compound. We're going to grow our own fruits and vegetables. We're going to farm. We're going to be self-sufficient. We're go- you can leave if you want to, but I want a place where everybody, no matter what, who I, I love, who I value, will be able to live there. So you're building your own little community, your I'm village. I'm building my village. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, a lot of the things that I say within my podcast, um, and I'm going to conclude it, so... Knowledge is power, and applied knowledge is freedom. Okay. So knowledge is power, and applied knowledge is freedom. Um, I like that. I, I don't. I, I've I've heard knowledge is power, and I'm glad you added the applied one. That's me. I just came up with it. No, I like knowledge is power and um, applied knowledge because it's different when you have knowledge and apply it. Right, but to me, I don't think knowledge is power. I think it's the application of the knowledge that's where the power is. You know what I'm saying? So, this plug right here has power, but if you don't plug nothing in, there's no. So you know what I'm saying? That. You have that plug is the application so that you can have the power. 
Just having that there does not give you power. I like that. You know what I'm saying? See, now I'm going to... See, if anyone knows I'm a writer, so I'm going to work on that writing and <laughs> twist it around and I'm going to have something for the next time. Yeah, um, and then I guess... Since we were talking about quotes, I got some quotes. You Please, want, you want some drop down. No, drop some to, Let me give you the last one I had because I had the, oh, yeah, the survivors um, on the domestic violence. Mm-hmm. And what I said was vulnerability is pain being released and transferred into power. Mm. Because for you to be vulnerable, it's, it takes an immense, it takes a large step to be vulnerable. Uh-huh. And once you're vulnerable, that's you peeling off the skin. And you're allowing yourself to transfer that pain into power. Gotcha. So I told my girls, your voice is powerful. It is. So let's continue with the vulnerability. Um, I like that. Yeah. So um, please drop yours. So drop some of before my quotes. we conclude, drop some of your quotes. Some of my drop quotes. some of your shout outs. Um, For sure. Um, and then we're gonna go ahead and conclude with that because this this was a a powerful powerful segment, and I'm. The reason why I say segment, because I know this is going to be the first of many, because I know you have a lot to offer. For sure. Um, so this was a powerful segment. So go ahead and give out your shout outs, give out your quotes. Okay. Um, one of my original quotes that I, that I love is, <clears throat> and I realized this, you know, younger, that the closer you get to your dreams, your closest friends will try to wake you up. Hmm. So I'm not going to translate that. I'll let everybody else try to take what they can from that. Um, Another one, you know how I tell you everything that I ask for, the universe gives me. And, you know, I think when people pray, they're really manifesting. They're asking for something that they want. And the universe is bringing it. Because the universe doesn't know good between good or bad. If you focus on bad, you're going to attract a whole bunch of bad. And it's going to confirm to you why your life is bad. If you focus on great or good, the universe is going to bring all these things that confirm to you why mm-hmm. everything is great or I good. Sure believe that. So I feel my quote is prayer is manifestation for dummies. You said that to me. Yeah, I said you And that. that sat on me. It really yeah. did because I was like, that is interesting because I'm, um, I'm a spiritual person um, and I grew up religious. So I have both of that instilled in me. But when you said that, I'm like, you can intertwine. Manif- manifest, but prayer is for the dummies. I, yeah, yeah, prayer is is manifestation for dummies. You know that, yeah. like cooking for dummies. There's a exactly, book where yeah. it's simplicity to make you understand how to do it. So prayer, you're really manifesting, but you call it prayer. But you're saying something out loud that you want the universe to to bring. Now, when you pray, you know, universe, God, they're all the same. Yeah. So it it, it really comes true, you know, for the most part. Um, and the last one I'll give you, cause I have a whole bunch is, um, either you fulfill your destiny and die or die fulfilling your destiny. Wow. Yeah. You stay as a powerful one. I see. I know you have a lot more, but that, do you mind repeating that one? Either you fulfill your destiny and die or die fulfilling your destiny. Yeah, I heard that. Let that sit and let that sit with you for a little bit. Before I have him give your shout outs, <laughs> what, what, are you, what is going to be your decision? I'm talking to my kings and queens right now. Um, are you going to die before your destiny or are you going to go ahead and achieve your destiny while to die? And then die. And then die. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's either or. Wow. Right? 
Go ahead. Or, let's, or, let's do the shout outs. Shout outs. Um, I think I did shout out a few people, but I'm going to shout out. I got my cousin Mally. Um, he He's locked up now. And it's crazy because he's at the same place I was 10 years ago. Like, he just had a child and now he's incarcerated, right? And that's my cousin. I love him and I know what he's going through. And he's actually blessed because he has me now. To, to help him. Like, I didn't mm-hmm. have that person, really. You know, I, I did it all by myself. And, and it's cool, you know what I'm saying? Because I, I, I got to learn a lot about myself. I got to grow a lot. But uh, I want to shout out Mally. Uh, I got my other boy. He was doing life, and now he um, they changed the law. So my boy Harlem, he's going to be coming home soon. I'm going to shout out my trainer, Nike. So I got my trainer... He was my trainer in prison. He got me in shape. He lives in Massachusetts. Coincidentally, while he was locked up, he did 20 years, his baby mama moved to Florida. So he got out, he moved to Florida, we connected again, and now he's my trainer out here. And he was my trainer in there. And he got me in tip-top shape. He knows me well. So the universe is lit. Everybody (laughs) that comes in your life is to either teach you what to do or teach you what not to do. Yeah, a lesson or no. That's it. And nobody that you've ever encountered was was there by mistake. It was destined, right? But you're supposed to notice what they were there for and apply it to push forward in your life. Mm -hmm. So everybody, just make sure you, like, notice these blessings and and use them for that. Think positively. Why? Why? And then you'll see. But I want to shout out Nike. That's my brother. He's He's keeping me in shape. Uh, my brother Tony Hood, another brother who, you know, I was in there. Tony used to send me money. Tony wrote me. Tony was on the phone. That's my brother. Um, shout out Dio. So also, his name is Ludney. He he did the book. Yep. We spoke to yep. him earlier. Esmond. Esmond is my twin, bro. <laughs> me and Esmond, we got a lot of things coming out uh, this year, a lot of things that we're doing. Um, so stay tuned. Um, I got my boy Roy. Uh, resource Roy, he lives in Tampa. This is a brother that I met um, this year, and we 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 got very close. And um, I want to shout out Rick for sure. Rick, Rick's my brother. Rick, Rick is a great inspiration, and I appreciate having Rick in my life as well. Um, my daughter and my mom, and I want to shout you out for having me on my first podcast as well. Like. I appreciate the opportunity for you to see the value, you know, in me to, to, to make me one of your guests. I'm honored to be here. I'm grateful. Um, you know, 2024 is going to be a big year for me. I have a lot of things coming out. We started January with the book, The Spirit of Haiti, Proverbs, Heritage, and Recipes. You can get that on Amazon.com for sure. People are loving it. And I'm appreciating everybody as well. We also have the World of Wisdom store. Go ahead and you can get the book cheaper on there, but it would it would take a little bit longer. And my social media is Infinite Moolah. Um, is that underscore? Underscore. Yep. yep. Infinite Moolah underscore. If you like art, there's a lot of art on there. You know, just a lot of things, inspiration. I, I just want to be. I just want everybody to know, like, no matter what, it's never too late to be great. Yes. Right? Like, I've been out for two years. I've done a little bit of stuff. Um, 
Actually, may I, I ask? There's a lot more that you can do. Sorry, may I ask? Um, after we can probably um have a link on my website so that they can just go directly. Um, also, if they of course, of have course, an extra link. okay, of course, we'll we'll set that up for sure. Yeah, we'll set that up for sure. Um, I cannot thank you enough, Carl, for being on I um on the podcast. Um, for sharing your for being vulnerable, as mm. I said about vulnerability, for being vulnerable, for sharing your story, um, for continuing to dedicate yourself to motivate and inspire others. Yeah. We thank you for that. Um, what you're doing for the generation, it's beautiful, and I know that there's so much that you have to offer, and I cannot wait to see it. Yeah. Um, and I want to thank you. So I'm just going to wrap it up. I want to say if you want to purchase the book, um, don't forget you can get it on Amazon. Um, the Spirit of Haiti, Proverbs, Heritage, and Recipes. I am going to figure out how we can get it on our website. Um, if you want to purchase any of the products, um, the soaps and scrubs, definitely www.ggh-together.com. On there, you can also find links to the podcast. If, you don't ha if you're not following it already, you can click the link, and we are going to figure out how we can get um, the Amazon link directly on there as well. Um, so kings and queens, I cannot thank you enough for tuning into the GGH podcast. We are all on a journey in life to grow internally, grow externally, and heal mentally. Let's continue to do it together.